Hello, everyone. I'm Al Grego, and this is the Yes We Are Open podcast. Toronto, Ontario. It's a warm late summer day in August, just a couple of weeks before I head on my trip to eastern Canada. I'm walking north along Bathurst Street. To my left is a great view of Fort York National Historical Site, where British soldiers, First Nations warriors, and upper Canadian militiamen stood together against the United States during their attempt to capture Toronto in the War of 1812. I then crossed the Sir Isaac Brock Bridge, a.k.a. the Bathurst Street Bridge, built in 1903. It crosses the railway corridor between Front Street and Fort York Boulevard, offering a scenic view of Fort York on one side and the cityscape all around. Just beyond the bridge on the west side of Bathurst Street is Stacked Market, a really cool indoor-outdoor cultural marketplace featuring a mix of shops, food vendors, a microbrewery, art installations, event spaces, park space with seating and great views of the city, and much more, all built entirely with shipping containers. That's where I'm headed. I've got some time before my interview, so I explore the market for a bit. I check out their anchor tenant, Blue Moon Brewery, one of my favorites. Some folks are playing pickleball on the court in front of the brewery. This market is what I would call highly Instagrammable. Everywhere I turn, there's an opportunity for a selfie. Whether it's an art installation, the view, or some of the beautifully delicious food from one of the various food vendors. I got lunch from one of those vendors. A Bulgogi King Bowl from Kong's Hot Tacos. It was so good. After my lunch, I finally make my way to the northwest corner of the market. Through Courtyard 1, under the Umbrella Sky Project, to Unit 5-105. A large triple-wide unit, and the location of this week's subject, Anin Retail Inc. This is a really cool spot. I've never been here before. Oh, cool. Yeah, we've been at Stacked for a year. We actually started off as a small shipping container two spaces down. Okay. And then we went to a double at the front of the street, and then we're in a triple now. Wow. That's Chelsea, the owner. She gives me a quick tour of her store, and right away she slips into story mode. And I learn about the history and meaning behind the clothing, jewelry, and makeup she sells, and the indigenous designers and artisans that she features. I immediately spot a t-shirt that I'll be purchasing for myself. If you have one of those black ones in, uh, in large, I will be taking one of those home. <laughs> yeah, definitely. We have so much in stock. So. After my tour is done, we set up at her front counter for her interview. My name is Chelsea Pettit. I'm an Anishinaabe Kwe member of Amjanong First Nations and the founder of Anin Retail Inc. When did you start Anin? So I started Anin in the summer of 2021, and I was actually just walking in the street in downtown Toronto when I thought I saw somebody wearing Indigenous syllabics on their clothing. And I felt this sense of inclusivity that I'd never felt before living in the city. I just moved here in December of 2020, 
and it was during the pandemic, so it was very quiet. Yeah. So I was thrilled to see somebody wearing indigenous syllabics on their clothing. But as I got closer, I realized it was actually just a triangle. So that kind of sparked the idea to start an indigenous streetwear brand that uses the syllabics as the main design focus. And I named it Anin because Anin means hello in Anishinaabe Moan, which is the language that Ojibwe people use. And I basically just want to start the conversation on indigenous languages and create visibility for indigenous people all across Canada, 365 days a year. Thank you. Yeah, I actually, it was really funny because when I picked the logo, I had no clue that it was going to have a triangle in it. I just wanted to use the word onion because I just felt like it was a very good word to use as an introduction. <laughs> I grew up in Sarnia, Ontario. And when I was 18, I left to Ottawa to go to fashion school and I dropped out just after three months. Couldn't afford to keep up with the program. And I was also working part-time, but mostly full-time hours at the time. And then I just dropped out of school because I missed so many classes. I actually have 10 years of retail background. So um, I was a retail store manager for the last seven years at a few different companies. And I was in charge of building very high performing teams. We were typically top 10 to top five across Canada within the corporate company with over 30 locations in Canada. So I knew that if I had a product, a brand, and I was there to sell it, I knew that I would be able to get it started. So why do that for somebody? Exactly. An indigenous fashion brand, it marries two things that are near and dear to you. Obviously, your indigenous beginning yep. and your love for fashion. Mm -hmm. That's great and all, yep. but how do, you, how do you get started? <laughs> yeah, so I actually, the whole triangle story happened on a Sunday afternoon. And by Wednesday, I had an entire drop shipping website up and running okay. to test out my idea that people would be interested in seeing indigenous syllabics on the clothing. And in our first week, we actually sold $3,000 right away. I didn't have a social media following. I wasn't running ads. I basically just put my experience of the triangle story on a post on Facebook and Instagram, and it was shared pretty widely. So we had really good foot traffic the first day. I think we had like 70 customers our first day live to our website. Right. I was expecting to have maybe 15 to 20 people. So you did design your own clothing. Uh, and how, how did you get it made? I basically, after the drop shipping, I shut it down after one week because if I got $3,000 in my first week with no marketing, no foot traffic and no hype, right. I just popped it out of my head one day and just yeah. ran with it. I knew that I had something really special. Yeah. So that was I, your market test. exactly. Yeah. yeah. It, it did. Yeah. So I basically shut down and used some of the money. I think I only made like $800 of profit after that, but I bought QR code labels um, from China. The first ones only went to the homepage of my website, but now they all go to their own unique translation page. So I've built it up that way. But when I first got started, they just went to the homepage of my website because for me, my mom is non-Indigenous and my dad is Ojibwe. Right. So I'm always thinking if I do this, like, can other like non-Indigenous people enjoy it and wear it too? Mm -hmm. And I know that my mom had a hesitation of being like, well, can I wear that? So I wanted to reassure non-Indigenous people that they can wear and support the garments with the QR code because it doesn't make them become the educator. It passes on the information for them. Yeah, that's a great idea. Mm -hmm. um, so I was actually making it all in my kitchen. <laughs> I 
I actually started with plain sweaters. So they were pretty costly, so I wasn't able to afford any minimum orders. So I basically just bought patches with an iron-on adhesive from China, QR codes, and I would actually iron them with like a handheld iron in my kitchen. I would order uh, whatever came in online as an order for that day. So if somebody ordered like a medium green sweater, I would order it from the manufacturer. I was paying so much money, but at this point I just wanted to test like, what is this process like? Are people interested in this? And is this something that I could eventually quit my job and start doing full time? Yeah, exactly. I did my very first market here at Stacked and um, it was a backyard event. So it was called the comeback. It was after COVID had finally lifted regulations. It was in October of 2021. So just a couple months after I'd started the business and I had spent $1,200 of my own money developing inventory for this market and we sold four thousand dollars in one weekend and i actually sold out so i used that as a starting point to realize okay i can definitely push this another step forward i actually went to 13 markets before christmas right after that first market that i did you're right downtown toronto yeah stack market is my first time here and it's uh, it's a really trendy looking place. It were is. You surprised at how well you were doing in in downtown Toronto. I knew that it was something that Toronto was missing. Mm-hmm. So, like when that interaction happened on the street, I just felt like it was so cool that somebody thinks that Indigenous languages were cool enough to wear in downtown Toronto. And because, like, I love the look of syllabics, and it was just really amazing to think that other people would enjoy them to the extent that they'd wear them on a daily basis. So I knew that there was some sort of market mm-hmm. like that was definitely not tapped into. And who else can do something like this? If another brand does it, it's pretty much cultural appropriation. So it's this to me is like such like a solid way to give back to indigenous people living in the city and artists that are inside of the space and basically just supporting indigenous businesses like people go out of their way to support made in Canada um, or just like sustainable products. But this is like a new sector that's not even tapped into yet. So I had come up with a design actually when I was working my full-time job as a digital marketing associate. I was waiting for a customer at Starbucks and they were late. And I just started thinking about how Toronto gets its name from the Mohawk word Tuckerando, which actually means where the trees are standing in the water. So my design is the trees is the Toronto skyline and then the water reflection has the cityscape in it. Yeah, so that's my bestseller. And I actually, as soon as I launched it, I made $15,000 our first release. Again, like no marketing. It was just putting a design on the website. I think it was all Photoshop too. So it wasn't like good, like marketing. I was just like, Hey guys, like this is my new sweater. This is what's going to be on it. And it's going to get printed in London, Ontario by resonance printing company. That's also indigenous. Yeah. I have such an amazing community that I think that's why I feel so confident doing everything that I am doing because every single market that I went to, if I posted on social media, I'd have at least like eight to 10 customers there. And that was when I only had like a thousand like followers on Instagram. I only had like 80 sales at the time. So I knew that if I was able to bring people that I'd never met before out of like the woodwork to come in, just say hello to me at a market that was nearby their house, or maybe they're just visiting from out of town and they just saw that I was at a market nearby. Um, All of those interactions, I think, led me to realize that no matter what I do, I always have a lot of people behind me.
Hi, my name is El Yip. So I'm the marketing lead for Onion Retail. I started interning with them actually in just this April, end of April. And after my internship was done, I'm now fully employed here. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. Did you know anything about Anin before you started here? When I was applying for my internships through my school, Anin was one of the brands that really like stood out to me. The thing that, that makes Anin stand out from like other fashion brands is that it builds an economy for indigenous people. It's a fashion brand with a purpose. It brings out more awareness and visibility to Slavics. It really makes an impact in both fashion and just society in general. So after a few pop-up experiences that went really well, your grand opening was June 2023. Yeah. That must have been a big next step for you. Yeah. How'd it go? It went pretty well. So I had done $8,000 that day. Um, we were expecting to do a little bit more, but actually Due West Fest was happening in Toronto the same day. <laughs> but I mean, the people who did come out, they were long-term customers of ours. There were friends of friends who knew about the grand opening from people who love our store. So we have great word of mouth. Would you say you've settled in? Uh, are you uh, confident that uh, you've got a business model here that will work? So it's actually the complete opposite. Okay. <laughs> it's not in a bad way, though. It's because we're growing so quickly that we're trying to stay ahead of the curve for next year. So like right now, we do have the store and I want to draw attention to the store. But this isn't like the be all end all. Our goals that we're currently working on and have been working on since January is to get into malls across Canada next Christmas. I think like it's a really, really amazing opportunity for these vendors to like both have more presence because some of the vendors that we carry, they have like a small following, you know, most of them are like small businesses or like doing this like part time. So for them to like be in store, they have like a physical presence, they have like more attention being brought onto their work, which is also like really beautiful that we are able to empower small indigenous businesses from across Canada. These are people that I've met in Toronto for like the last couple of years. Sometimes it's a customer who comes into the store and they're like, oh, I do beadwork as well. And then the next week they're dropping off beadwork and okay. we're selling it out for them. In terms of the marketplace and competition, is there any? It's not really competition. To me, I think the more revenue streams that Indigenous artists and businesses can make money from, the better. But I do see my brand sticking out a little further. My goal is basically to become like the conglomerate to create a wealth system, for, but then it benefits an actual community as opposed to a corporate entity or a CEO who owns it. So my goal is basically to reclaim the indigenous economy through fashion and commerce because indigenous people are the original tradespeople across Canada and North America and further. I really want to create those sort of systems back in place. Like we don't have vendors that are just in Canada. They're in the States as well. Up next... After a number of successful pop-ups and the successful grand opening of her storefront, Chelsea has succeeded in getting Anin off the ground and growing. But her biggest struggle may be living up to her own lofty ambition. How does she fare? Let's find out. You're listening to Yes, We Are Open. 
Chelsea Pettit has taken her indigenous streetwear clothing brand Anin and turned it into a thriving retail store in a trendy downtown Toronto market. Now, for many, this would already be a success story. But Chelsea has her sights set on a bigger picture. She wants to create more opportunity for other Indigenous creators to prosper. She wants to put their work and products in malls across the country. Is this mission advisable or even attainable? Let's find out. What's been your biggest struggle so far? The typical process of an entrepreneur is basically to build up through either their own savings or bootstrapping their businesses, which I have done. But with clothing, because the margins are so different compared to a lot of other inventory that people purchase, the margins don't get small until you're buying like thousands and thousands of pieces of one product. So buying 50 pieces out of my whole collection in small, medium, large, extra large, having a total of 50 pieces, it's not enough to basically get my business going. So I've really just had to take like net losses, like We haven't had a loss, but it's like we're always sitting at a net zero. And that's because we're constantly reinvesting every single cent that we are getting back into more inventory, trying to cut down on our margins so we can keep growing. But the biggest barrier is that there's only one Indigenous investment fund in all of Canada. So there's only one revenue that I can like try to take money from. But it's they're like venture capital. So it's giving away like so much money so early, which I'm going to have to do. And I'm totally fine with it because I just want to see this happen as fast as possible. Was there ever a point in this journey that you've gone for the last couple of years where it looked like it wasn't going to happen? <laughs> All the time. Okay. Still to this day. I'm so close to getting everything in place to start doing pop-ups next Christmas. But I mean, like any wrong turn could be the end of it because I do have so much riding on each and every section of the business. Like even with banks, I haven't been able to get a line of credit because I don't have my taxes done because I haven't been able to even take time to take care of basic things. Like I haven't been to a doctor or a dentist or so many other things in the last year, let alone be able to properly keep up my bookkeeping. There was definitely days that I had like a migraine or I felt sick, but I would still go to the store and just have a migraine there. (laughs) And it would honestly pay off. Like some of the worst days that I was having, somebody would come into the store and spend like $1,500 in one transaction. Like if you just keep showing up and you just keep making yourself open and available, then there will be people who come and surprise you. Maybe it's just people see you working so hard, or maybe it's people who just genuinely love the designs. There's so many possibilities that it could be, but you can't do that if you're not there. Like if I just closed the store that day, I wouldn't have made that $1,500 sale. And then that wouldn't have pushed me to keep doing that every single day. So I actually, I was thinking about this yesterday. I was walking through the mall, trying to envision what we would look like in malls. And I basically was like, just kind of thinking about consistency. I think something popped up on my phone, one of those like Instagram videos that are like, if you want to be everything you want to be, you need to be consistent type of thing. And I was like, honestly, yeah, that's true. Stacked market is an experience. Yeah. This isn't, I wouldn't call this a mall. No. Right? So this is a very unique experience and it kind of demands unique vendors that you are. Yes. Right? 
But when I think of Yorkdale or Upper Canada or West Edmonton, yeah, like is that still something you should be looking forward to? Or I definitely think so. I think there's a huge hole in the, in the whole retail industry, and I saw it working in the companies that I worked for for ten years. I was consistently one of the best sellers since I was 18, and I think it's just because. I have such like a good storytelling background to me and it just comes like second nature. And there's so many stories to tell inside of the store. So if you're providing value to customers, it creates that sort of fun experience. Like sometimes people stay in the store for like an hour, like, and it's like a tiny store. There's not much, like there's not that much to look at, but people enjoy hearing about all of the different stories. And I definitely think since COVID it is making a huge comeback because People don't want to order online. They don't want to have that disconnection. People are scared about technology. I don't feel like it's actually going to make a big impact until like maybe 10 or 15 years from now. So you think malls are here to stay for a while? I think malls are here to stay, but I think the stores inside of them are going to start to change. And I think we could be a driving force in that change when people see how well we're doing and not even just from like what we're visually doing. It's like the KPIs behind everything that we're doing in here. Like we have a great average dollar per transaction. Mm-hmm. So when people come in here, they are dropping good money. And it's really because they do feel a connection to the people that they're buying the products from. You kind of touched on this a bit in part one. Maybe talk to our listeners who aren't Indigenous, but might be nervous to try you know, to wear some of the, your clothes yeah. Or some of the jewelry. My wife just bought a pair of indigenous earrings because she loved yep. the way they look. Yeah, definitely. But she only bought it because she was assured exactly. that it was okay for her to, to Totally. Wear. As long as it's being assured by an indigenous person that it's okay, yeah. go for it. Because <laughs> you don't want to support non-indigenous people selling indigenous designs. Yeah. There's a catch-22 because people just assume that it's not okay. But as long as it's coming from an indigenous person, then it's totally appropriate to celebrate their culture with them. So I'm trying to create like I call it a hybrid retail experience and because we carry artists and these are artists that are walking down the street right next to you like you could be walking past one of them in downtown Toronto so it's people that they want to keep seeing in the city it's people that they are friends with or it's people who are visiting outside of the city coming to the city for like maybe the first time or they like visiting but they've never seen themselves in society when they do come to visit there's so much potential not only for like the average consumer but also just for indigenous people to see ourselves You know, when other e-commerce brands are charging 2.6 or 2.8% to take transaction fees from small businesses, it really makes a huge impact. So I immediately switched over to Moneris for just in-store processes because it saves me basically like 1% to 1.5% transaction fees, which is crucial when you're selling like $15,000 in a month, especially when you're just getting started. We did like $65,000 in the month when we first opened in June. So it's like, that is a huge amount of savings that we just would have thrown away if we didn't switch over to Moneris. And it also has like a lot more of a professional feel just having like the physical debit terminal here instead of like a card reader. So yeah, it's definitely helped the growth quite drastically. Coming up after the break, we find out what the future holds for Anine Retail Inc. 
success in business doesn't come without moments of struggle. Moments when you had to face your challenges head on. As the proud partner of Canadian business, Moneris plays a critical role in empowering businesses with the payment processing tools they need to succeed. Together, we are building stronger businesses where business owners everywhere can stand up to their challenges without slowing down. Moneris, proud partner of Canadian business. Welcome back to Yes, We Are Open. Anain Retail Inc. is continuing to grow, and Chelsea Pettit is steadfast in her mission to create a 100% Indigenous-backed business, providing opportunity for other Indigenous suppliers and artisans. So what does the future hold for Anin? Let's find out. You've overcome a lot to get to this point. Uh, your grand opening went well. The pandemic seems to be over. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> what does the future look like? are currently working very quickly right now. We are pushing for a big Black Friday season, so just thinking upcoming. So um, after Truth and Reconciliation Day, I am going to be launching the business with 100 new vendors that we are hoping to promote for Black Friday to the holiday season. So this year for Christmas, I'm hoping a lot of people consider shopping Indigenous for a lot of gifts. Um, we are going to have some like gift guides and packages and things like that all set up for customers to make it a little bit easier. I'm really excited. Last year, we did $50,000 from Black Friday leading up until Christmas. And I shut down the site like a week before Christmas. So that was like only a three week time period. So this year I'm hoping for like 150K. Like I really like to talk with numbers because I feel like especially for like maybe entrepreneurs listening to this, it's so hard to grasp like what the success of other people looks like. Sure. Some people, they just talk and they're just like, yeah, we did so well in yeah. Q2. And then like we doubled it. But then it's like, what did you double? Did you double $500 and right. then you made a thousand? Or did you double like a million and then you made two million? So I just like to talk very openly and transparently about that yeah, too. Yeah. That. yeah. But it gives a sense of context. Yeah, yeah, context. totally. So my next growth would hopefully become headquarters, okay. maybe even sooner than the pop-ups. Mm -hmm. But I really want to create internships for Indigenous youth or just any sort of youth that are just looking to get hands-on skills outside of like the regular school system. Right. Like for me, I'm a three-time college dropout right. and I learn the best by doing hands-on. Sure. I learned everything that I know from running my own stores as a retail store manager. And although I was only getting paid like forty to $60,000 a year, those are the things that really allowed me to just jump right into what I'm currently doing. What would you like to see your future with Anin? So I actually like told Chelsea that I really want to stay with Anin long term because I really appreciate and love this brand so much. And long term, I would love to see Anin grow towards its goals, you know, like be an indigenous department store that brings just visibility and presence to Indigenous people. Right now, my main goal is to definitely push Anin because not only do I like really love working here, but it's just an amazing brand with a beautiful and powerful impact and vision. Maybe in the future, if I do, you know, decide to branch off and do off my own thing, then that would be really exciting for me as well. I feel like I don't even see it. I feel like I'm so far in the future that 
it's funny because at the grand opening, so many people were coming up and they're like, how do you feel? And I'm like, I don't feel anything. It's like, I'm so consumed by it every day that I don't get to experience it like everyone else, but I don't care. I think I got to experience it when I came up with the idea. Yeah. There's only like so many like amazing things that I can say about this brand and like what Anin is um, doing and their vision. And it's just a really, really great feeling to be working with here. And I don't think that if I had the opportunity to like back when I was choosing my internships, if I had the opportunity to go with anyone else, I would have chose Anin like 100% every single time. I'm still not paying myself, but it's getting closer and closer to setting up all of the connections that I need to have a very successful year next year. So that's all I think about is like, okay, after we get over that hurdle and maybe after I take like my first vacation in three years, <laughs> maybe then I'll be able to kind of like sit with it and just kind of see how I feel. But yeah, it's just one of those things. <laughs> well, I'm thoroughly impressed with your Thank you. already, so I can't imagine what the next couple You did this in two years. I can't imagine what the next two years are. Thank, Thank you. So Thank you so much for having me. Chelsea, now is Anin open? Yes, we are open. That's the story of Anine Retail Inc. I have a confession to make. I'm a horrible salesperson. I only lasted three days at my one and only sales job, and the first two days were training days. I didn't get fired, mind you. I quit. It just wasn't in me. So when I see someone who's good at sales, I'm impressed, so long as they're not trying to sell something to me. I hate pushy salespeople. So now I'm going against my better judgment to let you know what sales tactic works best on me. And it shouldn't be any surprise given the nature of this podcast. It's storytelling. If you can make me care about a product by building an emotional attachment to that product, then I'm as good as sold. That's one of the major goals of any marketing these days, telling good stories. But it's not a new concept. It's been around for ages. In fact, there's a Native American proverb that goes, those who tell stories rule the world. Chelsea knows this innately, and it has served her well in her past retail experiences. Now, she has some big ideas for Anin, and she believes she can deliver on them. And from the limited time I've spent with her, I'm sold. I have no doubt she can do it, because I sincerely believe she has no doubt she can do it. So yes, I do believe that one day you'll see Anin stores in malls across this country. And it is my sincere hope that sometime soon, Chelsea can take that long overdue vacation and look back at what she's built so far and be proud. Yes, We Were Open is a Moneris podcast production. I'd like to thank Elle and Chelsea for taking their time to share their story. You can learn more about Anin Retail Inc. at anin.shop. Follow them on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at anin.hello. And on Pinterest, they're at aninhello. And by the way, Anin is spelled A-A-N-I-I-N. Please support this podcast by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a Canadian small business owner or know of one with an interesting story of perseverance to tell, I'd love to help tell it. You can contact me at podcast at Tune in next week for another story of small business struggle and survival on the Yes, We Are Open podcast. I'm Al Grego. Thank you for listening. Thank you.